0: We were out in the bush, it was maybe oh, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's sort of that slightly naughty, magical feeling about being out in the bush at night, and the canopy kind of closes in over you and draws you in close, and there's this limited world you can see in your head torch in front of you, and we'd been doing some nocturnal work, and we're, we're heading back for the truck when someone spotted it, and I. I remember just seeing this thing and just it's the color it's, its eyes and someone picked it up and, and put it on my hand bad 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 don't don't handle wildlife but someone put this gecko onto my fingers and and I can remember its little little fingers or toes um, grabbing onto my own and curling around and I could see it's it's heartbeat going in its chest and just incredible creature and I remember I was just smitten and, you know for days after that I was I was just on air and it wasn't until years after that when I I remember seeing in the news these stories about uh, guys stopped at the border with with these geckos down their underpants um, smuggling them away to the illegal pet trade or threatened species trading smuggling them out to Europe just thinking I don't understand so this is my effort to understand
1: wild
2: it's wild wild
0: it's really wild
2: wow, it's wild 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 it's so wild
0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Wild Dunedin Podcast. I'm Jamie McCauley.
1: And I'm Claire Concanon. And this episode, episode four, is all about lizards. We're going to talk New Zealand native skinks and geckos. And Jamie will take us on a journey to find out why they're so awesome. And to find out maybe if they're a bit too awesome. And that this makes people want to take them away.
0: I start out by meeting one. So, I'm with Eden Gray. Now, Eden is not a gecko. Eden is the living environments coordinator at the Otago Museum. And we shuffled sort of in behind locked doors in this thick plate glass into a little room to meet someone pretty special.
2: I'll just open up the doors to the back of this enclosure so it's a little bit of a tight squeeze in here but you can see just in that branch there this is Manawa
0: Oh wow, look at him
2: He's pretty gorgeous, huh?
0: Yeah, so he's about 15 centimetres long a jewelled green gecko, is that correct?
2: A jewel, yeah, jewelled green gecko or moko
0: kakariki is the te term Ah, oh, wonderful! And he's just sitting there on top of a wee, wee caprosma shrub or something, yep. just just taking in the taking in the the day.
2: Yeah, he's probably one of the most relaxed living residents we have here at the museum. Um, and you'll often find him in the same spot, either turned out to look at the public or kind of just minding his own business, looking back at us here. People really love being able to come and see a native lizard um, in an environment like this because often they're really hard to spot in the wild. They come and they stand here and they really often they have to hunt to see him because he's pretty well camouflaged but then once you get a look at him he's pretty hard to look away from and people really enjoy just standing here and, and seeing what he gets up to. So he's got a pretty amazing story. He was originally from the Otago Peninsula, but he was actually smuggled all the way to Germany. Um, And so it wasn't until a few years later that German authorities found him and they managed to bring him all the way back to New Zealand. And they recognised where he came from and he was repatriated back to us. And we were gifted him and we're here as his guardians.
0: This little green gecko had travelled a full loop around the world.
2: From what I'm aware, the German authorities found him and he was recognized to be a New Zealand native species. Manawa was actually one of two geckos that were smuggled over. It was him and a female. He was ID'd and he was able to be traced back to the Otago Peninsula and um, where he was from where he was smuggled. And but the thing, the really cool thing about the story is that this is the first time native New Zealand geckos were allowed to be brought back into the country. So ordinarily, unfortunately, if animals, native animals, get smuggled out of New Zealand because of our really strict biosecurity laws, they're normally not allowed back into the wild or to be released because um, of the risk of disease or things that they could transfer to other natives so although Manawa wasn't allowed p- to be released back into the wild and um, it was agreed that he would instead be allowed to live in captivity and act almost as advocates for other natives like them and their their story as well. What we hope is that him being here and people being able to come and see him and um, it really sort of acts to tell his story and to help engage people more with protecting our own native species and thinking about these other threats that exist to them, things like poaching and the illegal pet trade, those sorts of things.
0: So Manawa is here as an ambassador, a mangai kawanatanga for his species. And seeing this gecko, I was just instantly smitten again. I was enthralled by his story. I wanted to know, how did they know he was from here? And how did he get back? Herpetology is the study of amphibians like frogs and lizards. I talked to Dr. Joe Monks of the Department of Conservation to find out how Manawa got home.
3: So, Carrie Knox, who did a master's in zoology a few years ago, um, had worked out that you can, you can identify a unique individual gecko, jeweled gecko, based on its pattern markings on its skin, and they stay stable pretty much throughout its life. So um, he has an amazing photo database of lots of individuals on the peninsula and can use those to match geckos that appear
0: elsewhere. Wait, so every single gecko is different?
3: Like a fingerprint. The patterns on geckos enable us to uniquely identify individuals, On jewelled geckos that is. He was recovered from Germany, and he was recovered as part of a peer, and his partner was photo-matched to the Otago Peninsula, and so the assumption is that he came from the Otago Peninsula as well.
0: Wow, and so so when you say that she was matched to a site, how big a site are we talking? How how close, you know, how big an area do these geckos roam, and how far from her actual home rock might we have got to?
3: Uh, Probably would have been a home bush and they're pretty sight faithful and they generally don't make big movements. So we could probably have um, worked out where she was from to within five metres.
0: Incredible. The other thing I wondered about was how long are these geckos around for? I mean, this guy had been photographed in Otago, smuggled at some point out of the country, been part of this police raid in Germany identified as being New Zealand, and now returned to the museum here. How long do geckos even live for? I mean, he's tiny.
3: 53 is the longest and counting.
0: 53 years for a gecko? Yep. Wow.
3: And that data comes from Mottenale Island in Canterbury, which is predator-free, so they have a better chance of survival. But in a mammal-free environment, the oldest known gecko is 53 years and counting.
0: Wow. And
3: that's a minimum because she was first caught as an adult, so we don't know how old she was to, at
0: first capture. Yeah. So she could be even older than 53. Absolutely. Wow. So that, that means uh, Manawa is quite possibly older than I am. Yeah.
3: So um, we don't have any. Qu- so that was a nocturnal gecko. We don't have quite such good estimates for the green geckos, but we know in captivity they can live till at least 18 years. Most people don't realise that we have 106 lizard species in New Zealand, so we have quite cool diversity. And all of them are endemic to New Zealand, they don't occur anywhere else in the world. Awesome! Plus one introduced species that is a pest. And of our native species, we have about half geckos, half skinks, just a few more skinks that we recognise.
1: That number of species is amazing! I mean, in Ireland we have one lizard, the common lizard. That's what it's called. <laughs> and it's just brown and
0: dull and pretty common. Yeah, I didn't realise how lucky we are in New Zealand to have this, this incredible number of different lizards and, and skinks.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is, because, I mean, I work in the museum, so I get to see Manoa every day. He's just, he's so beautiful. But he's also diurnal, which means that he's active during the day. I mean, but it's cool. Like, visitors can see Manoa doing his thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, at this stage, I was just fully enthralled with this conversation with Jo. You can hear it in my voice. She just kept hitting me with these facts that were amazing.
3: Do you know how high lizards get in New Zealand, altitude-wise?
0: Altitude-wise, well, they reliant on the sun, so I'm going to guess not that high.
3: Yeah, you'd be wrong. 2,200 metres is the highest altitude lizard record.
0: 2,200 metres they're living way up in the Alpine zone. Everything wow. from
3: sea level and slightly under the sea because of the diving skinks.
0: Wait, diving skinks? <laughs> Wait, what are diving skinks?
3: Oh, we have two species of skinks that dive, the Fiordland skink and even more professionally, the laying skink. And so the iglang skink's are up in the northeast of New Zealand and they can hold their breaths for eight minutes underwater.
0: Wow. What a fascinating strategy. Um, someone told me an interesting fact about lizard penises. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Some people don't realise that lizards have two. Two. Two, two penises. They're called hemipenes. They've got one on each side.
0: One on each side. hmm Wow. Yeah. Fancy that.
3: Yes, fancy that. <laughs> they pop out of the cloaca for mating.
0: Right. They just pop out when they need them. That's right. Both of them or one at a time.
3: I suspect it's one at a time, but I haven't witnessed it myself.
0: Ah, they just choose. Do I feel?
3: I suspect it depends on which side the female lizard is. Of
0: course. You're
1: getting wildly distracted here, Jamie.
0: Two, two penises. two, two of them. Like, uh, no, but you, you're right that like I, the, I wanted to get to why these geckos are going missing, and I mean we've heard all about how amazing they are but next I spoke to the guy whose job it is to stop them from going missing and I asked him apart from the fact that they're obviously awesome why are people coming and taking these things away?
4: Um, There's a variety of reasons why people are after these geckos.
0: This is Dylan Swain, Senior Investigator with the Department of Conservation National Compliance Unit.
4: There's been a, a population of them in Europe for a, a number of years now and obviously to, to sustain that population they need that genetic diversity coming through that they can't do uh obtain through legal means. Um so there's a driver there for people to to, to get hold of them, um, to help sustain their own population. So and I guess the um you call that the pet trade. Um, now, there's also the the, the the high value of them, if you like, as well. It, um, we do see um, opportunists uh, coming down to New Zealand, realising that our dual geckos are, are worth a lot of money to collectors within Europe, and there's an attraction there um, for them to, to try and fund their travels through, um, through smuggling these animals. We don't like to be... Um, too overt about how yeah, much these animals are worth it, it, it's for a combination of reasons both the um the market does fluctuate wildly and we have had instances in the past where um numbers are put out there in the public and it actually encourages um people within new zealand to, to carry out uh, not necessarily smuggling but there have been break-ins at uh, wildlife parks and collections following the, the um, publicity around values
0: is this a problem that happens to every country? Do, do all cities lose their, their geckos and their wildlife? Or is this something unique to us?
4: New Zealand geckos are are particularly unique both for their colouring and also their activity, um, being dying also, so active during the day. Um, They are a a very attractive option amongst um, herpetologists and people who like reptiles as pets. Now, as far as I'm aware, the only other reptiles in the world that are active during the day in that same manner are New Caledonian geckos, which are quite heavily targeted uh, by illegal traders and poachers and smugglers as well.
0: And how do we stop it?
4: Um, we we don't have a huge number of tools as such. It's uh, it's largely using our own wits and, and observation, that information from people on the ground, um, and we regularly look at open source information as well. So uh, things that are appearing on the internet, um, you know, Facebook is, is quite widely used by the the herpetological community, um, and just keeping a, a, a close eye on what's happening as well as developing our own informants within that community to help give us a bit of an inside idea of what's going on. Probably the, the main thing that all law enforcement agencies around the world need is information. Um, it's, it's something that we trade regularly with our um, counterpart agencies overseas, is information about um, people that we're particularly concerned about, uh, as to what their movements are and what their collections are. Now, as far as how that extends to members of the public, um, they're our eyes and ears on the ground, if you like. So, if anyone is seeing anything suspicious around areas where there are dual geckos, you know, if there's a, a, a camper van parked up for a couple of nights, it just seems a little bit strange position for it to be in or people looking at a little bit too interested in the local manuka and kanuka bushes. Um, that's the sort of thing that we like to hear about. It's, uh, it's just those suspicious activities going on to help feed into our own information that we're developing.
0: And then what do you do with that information?
4: Um, so we'll compare it against information we've already got to try and work out if uh, if that suspicious person is anyone that, that we know about uh, or potentially would like to know a lot more about. And normally in the first instance, we'll get the local dock office to send out some staff to, um, to just have a bit of a suss out of what's going on. And in more serious circumstances, we'll bring in our, um, our senior investigation team um, to look at options such as covert surveillance. Or we can consider if we're able to identify the person, uh, putting in appropriate alerts at the border. Now, whether that be for, uh, for passengers travelling outbound, or we can also look at mail and the courier system for outbound packages as well.
0: And are we winning?
4: Um, we do struggle at times, it is for sure. Um, certainly since the change in site existing of these geckos in 2013, we've seen a reduction in obvious smuggling out, for want of a better term. We do know that animals are still leaving New Zealand because we are seeing them still in, in relatively small numbers. And obviously, um, Manawa, the gecko, was, uh, was one that was illegally smuggled out. Um, So the smoking of them has certainly decreased, uh, but it is an ongoing problem that we see.
0: CITES, or the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species, is a piece of international legislation designed to make it harder for these smugglers to get their hands on endangered species. But still, these things are going missing. Just last year, Graham, a Marlborough green gecko, that had resided at the Department of Conservation Visitor Center for more than 30 years was stolen in a flagrant theft right in front of Doc's eyes. And in Christchurch in the Botanic Gardens, a package of 58 native geckos and skinks was found abandoned in a presumed botched smuggling event that resulted in the death of almost all of those individuals. We're making these things harder to smuggle, but... Are we actually stopping them from going missing? It was something Joe Monks said that started to raise alarm bells for me. I'd heard this story before.
3: I think that some people just feel like they have to own things. They aren't content to let wild animals be wild and they want to keep them.
0: in the early 20th century the De Beers company had a strong interest in a then semi-precious stone. At the time diamonds were featured on just 10% of engagement rings in the USA and were not strongly valued or desired by the public. A problem you can imagine for De Beers. De Beers began buying and stockpiling the stones in bank vaults, strongly limiting supply and a forced scarcity. They then worked to increase demand for the product. De Beers started telling the world that diamonds are precious. Using an advertising agency with strong campaigns based on emotional social values. It's love, it's diamonds. Diamonds are forever. Marilyn Monroe breakfast at Tiffany's. They sought to change social values and add worth to an item in the public's perception. My point Be them jewels or jeweled geckos, rarity plus emotional value drives prices through the roof. Should we be really telling people how amazing these things are, how rare they are? Should we be making them harder to trade? Or should we just... Stop.
4: It's it's an incredibly difficult situation, um, and and I mean we say that within our own department as well, is that we we want to celebrate our, our places and our wildlife, and it's very difficult to do that without saying, hey, look, people, you know, that this is what we have. Come and share it that's, with us.
2: I mean, that's a really interesting question, and definitely, I think something that we really need to be aware of when we are holding them in captivity and putting them on display like this. And I think it's striking that balance between probably acknowledging that we are doing a little bit of that and displaying how beautiful they are. And, you know, maybe there are some people out there who think, wow, these really are species that I want to go out and find for myself and do really horrible things to. But we hope that on the other side of that is that we are showcasing these beautiful species and encouraging members of the public um, and locals to really care about them as much as they can and showing them ways that they themselves can be protectors and guardians for these animals in their own gardens or in their own, you know, local places and they themselves can be active in preventing these sorts of things
4: happening.
0: Even the very studies on how to save these things are being used to remove them,
4: um, it's been terribly frustrating in the past, where we see academic papers published with quite specific locations given, of um, particularly rare geckos, and that information feeds straight into the black market overseas. We we regularly find people trading and. Um, academic papers with references to where um, certain populations of geckos are, which can be a little bit frustrating for us. Having said that, um, we're working closer and closer all the time with, with both the scientific and conservation community to try and keep those sorts of things under wraps because we do understand that it's important to the, the science community to be able to, to, to I guess, acknowledge um, these populations and, and to be able to study and talk about them while at the same time trying to protect them from uh, from smugglers and poachers.
0: And I ask Jo how she feels about poaching as a scientist.
3: Yeah, I think it's devastating. Um, it's compromised several sites for some of our attractive species and um, has been the primary cause of population failures in those places. I think on average smuggling isn't is not by far the biggest threat facing New Zealand lizards that's predation by introduced mammals and secondarily habitat loss but for just a few species there have been cases where populations have been decimated by poaching and in some cases it's scientific information that has led them to those sites. I don't think that any New Zealand species is at risk of extinction through poaching but there are definite populations that have basically been wiped out and poaching was the primary reason.
1: And smuggling it's such an emotional hit just the idea that people are coming in and taking these beautiful creatures away it's like a punch to the gut but I find it very interesting that this smuggling isn't the biggest threat to them
0: yeah this idea that you know your neighbor with a weed whacker might actually clear habitat and and also really harm these things in a big way so I asked What can we do that will be positive?
2: People, if in their backyards, especially out on the Otago Peninsula, don't clear away all of their shrubby scrub looking stuff. The bushes that they like to hide in, like caprosma, sometimes don't look as attractive perhaps as other things people might want to plant, but the dense scrub creates really brilliant habitats for them. Keeping your backyard predator free is a really good one even if that means you know keeping your cat inside especially at night or not having cats at all. Um, Other things like putting out basking rocks for lizards so just big flat rocks in the sun they really like those. So there's lots of little things that you can do to kind of create your own gecko habitat or paradise in your backyard.
0: And the guys from DOC want your hand to catch as many of these guys as we can.
4: Um, so I know it can be frustrating at times When, uh, when we will receive a call from someone and, and we don't immediately walk away with someone in cuffs um, But we certainly appreciate and, and act on All information that we receive So any information that's out there Please pass it on to your local doc office And we are can do, to catch as many of these guys as we can
1: So it's a catch-22 We want people to value them We need people to value them But the right kind of value
0: we want people to value these things in a wild setting, to be to be kind of thrilled by the thought of wild lizards running around their gardens.
1: Of course, that comes with the risk. If you tell people how amazing and valuable and rare these animals are, some people will want to own them.
0: But so Manawa becomes a lesson not just in how awesome these lizards are, but and how we value awesome wildlife in a way that's positive for both us and for them. And what about those caught poaching Manua?
4: It was an interesting situation in that the, the house that Manawa was found in was actually owned by a different person to um, the, the, I guess, collector, if you like, who who essentially owned Manua at that time. Um, so the person who owned the house that the um, that this large collection of various other animals, as well as Manawa, was found in, um, I'm reasonably sure was let go with a warning by the, the German wildlife authorities, whereas the person who had um, sourced Manawa and collected Manawa uh, received a fine from the German courts.
0: Thank you for listening to this, the fourth episode of the Wild Dunedin Podcast.
1: Thank you to the Wild Dunedin Festival of Nature and the Otago Museum, who support the podcast. Thank you to ORFM, Otago Access Radio Dunedin, and also to Molly Devine and Paul Corbett for the music and intro.
0: A big thank you to Dr. Joe Monks and Dylan Swain of the Department of Conservation and Eden Gray from the Otago Museum, our wonderful guests on this week's episode.
1: If you're enjoying the podcast... Please share it, tell all your friends, rate and review, everything helps!